Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Jamamsi Show. Today, I have a very good friend of mine and godfather to my child. That's all right. Alex, how you going, brother? Good, thanks, brother. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, we've got our own podcast going. That's right. And, you know, you were sort of the inspiration. And, well, I'll do two people. So you were part of it because you was like, fuck, let's do this podcast together. Mm-hmm. And then I give the second half of that credit to Joe Rogan because I was, I was listening to him all the time. I was like, fuck, why don't I just do my own show? Yeah. And yeah, this is how all this come about. No. So the premise of my show is basically talking to interesting individuals and in hopes to inspire others uh, to be the best version of themselves. Um, you're a very interesting person because you have went through a lot of adversities mm. from what you've told me and... Um, experience of being a friend of yours um so i just wanted you to basically tell us where you're from where were you born um and yeah just a little bit of backstory yeah all right no worries well i was born in england or united kingdom but yeah i was born in england in uh milton Keynes, bletchley back in 1995 but only lived there for a few years we moved out to australia in 1998, October, we arrived and grew up in northern suburbs in Elizabeth, Davram Park region. So shout out to the north side. And yeah, you know, uh, grew up basically all my life in there. Mm. You know, grew up in a really uh, English and a very British household. Um, but yeah, grew up in basically Elizabeth my whole life. Only in the past couple of years have I lived outside of that region. I've uh, been living down south now. But, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. And what was it like growing up there? In Elizabeth. Up in north, yeah. Well, you know, everyone's got their their um, opinions about it. You know, you tell people where you're from and within that region. Everyone gives you that, oh, you know. You know, it was, it was bad-ish growing up. Mm-hmm. Because, like, look, I'm from, while I was born in Milton Keynes, Bletchley, we're originally as well from Tottenham in North London, and that was rough. Mm. Like, that's what my dad said to someone, uh, I don't know who it was, I think a workmate. Um, the guy said to me, he said, oh, why did you buy a house in Davron Park? Like, that's Darrow. That's mm. rough. And my dad said, okay, define rough. And he was like, oh, you know, people do a bit of drugs, you get bikies around there, you know, some gangs, whatever, you know. Crap like that. My dad was like, okay. You know, it's like where we come from, we've had riots. We've had a cop had his head cut off by bad boy yardies and everything during the uh, 94 Tottenham riots. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. You know, like real moments that were defining of our time over there. So, you know, this guy kind of like shut the hell up real quick. You know? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, look, man, it's bad. You know, it's bad up there. You know, I got nothing but love for being for being from England and being English, but it's different, you know? So being an immigrant to this country, you know, I can I can vouch that this is a good life, you mm. know, especially from what my parents have told me, you know, being from, yeah, growing up all their lives over there. It's, uh, yeah. But you know what I mean? It was, yeah, for my experience growing up, yeah, I could say it was a bit rough growing up. You know, there was always temptation. There was always... 
the, I would say the illusion that you were living in, you know, the hood. Mm. So people acted as such. When your mind manifests around that kind of reality, it becomes your reality. Yeah. And you don't think anything else. It's like you get a dab of poison. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Mm. Yeah, get a little dab, a bit of poison, and it just, it just goes into you. Mm. But I still had a good life, you know. But, yeah, I guess when I meet most people, we, I, I, I can... Like, when I branched out, I kind of really realised how different my upbringing was with a lot of people I do meet, mm. you know. So... Okay. Yeah. And you have much memory of England or no? No, I've got a couple of core memories. Like my sister, she grew up there longer than me. She's got more memories, but I've got core memories. Just being in my auntie's place, going to Piccadilly Circus with my cousin once. This other night where all the all my cousins like sprayed me with a hose and made me upset. I know it's real traumatic, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, being at the airport, I'll never forget that. Being at the airport with all our family when we were basically leaving for Australia. I was playing Time Crisis. I ran up, oh, I waited for ages. Remember my dad said, I think I ran like 40 pounds, which is like $80 on playing Time Crisis on one of those Jeez. arcade machines. Because they were there for so long, it just hey, it kept me to, you know, I was a real active kid, so it made me shut up and just sit down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got some crazy stuff going on with technology today with the AI and stuff like that. I yeah. wanted to get a little bit of that in there, ask you a few questions about it. Okay, yeah. Um, what do you think about... AI, like what we have going on today. Have you experienced, have you done any uh, experience with ChatGPT or anything like that? Nah. No. I, all I can say is, is that Terminator is now more of a documentary than a fiction film. Mm. You know, in, in all fiction, there are resemblance of truth to the reality that is around you. And while, you know, exoskeleton machines aren't going to pick up laser rifles and start decimating the human race... I can definitely vouch and I can definitely say and believe truthfully that artificial intelligence is definitely sapping the soul out of humanity. Mm. You know, chat GPT, like, you know, I've got family that are teachers, like my sister's a teacher mm. and my partner is and one of my best mates is. And it's coming to the point now they're like, when I, oh, when, when um, they mark work, they're wondering, is this thousand word essay just a chat GPT? Because mm. sometimes there, there'll be errors in there. Yeah. And it'd be like, well, kids make errors. Yeah. So there's just, you know, I was saying to my missus the other day that when I used to cheat mm. on my schoolwork because I was a crap student, yeah. you know, I'd go to the, you know, the uh, end of the maths book, have a look at the answer and be like, all right, I'll put that down. And even though I might not be doing the working out, I'd still know the answer. I'd have to do some research to try and f acquire what I was after. Yeah. These days, kids don't need to cheat like that. You know, mm. they can just go to ChatGPT, say, write this, and it will write it up, and they've literally not even gone and done anything apart from us, an artificial intelligence computer, to give them something. Yep, yep. Did you read about that um, That German photography or painting? No, photography. It was a photography competition in Germany. Mm -hmm. What about it? Um, the winner used a AI-generated photo. Of course. And But what he'd done, he did it deliberately to warn people. Mm. So there even comes into that, that with multimedia competitions, how are you going to police that? Yeah. Because back in the day, if, you, if there was an art painting competition, unless you got an artist behind the doors to do it for you, mm -hmm. which would be deemed cheating, yep. there's no other way that you can say this isn't authentic. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So i got so many gripes and qualms of AI. 
Yeah, accountability. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Hefe and he was like, accountability. Yeah. Someone like the AI could fucking, you know, take someone out. Who do you blame? Who's accountable for it? You blame the AI, but they they don't. How are you gonna blame? What are they? What are you gonna do with them? That's right. <laughs> you can't do nothing to them. And that's the thing. When you got privatization, you got companies who are making all of this. There, there, there is no accountability when it comes to the top tier echelon of of of, of human civilization. Mm. You know, like prime example. Well, let's look at let's remove AI for an instance, but we can still use this metaphor or not this metaphor. You can use this as a comparison. You know, look at a company such as maybe Raytheon, BAE Systems, um, Lockheed Martin. You know, these companies supply weapons to majority of the world mostly it's the american and uh, military industrial complex but they also make weapons that go to russia mm-hmm. now if russia and the u.s go into full-blown conflict you've got a company that has no accountability to a side that's right it's financial profit yeah and there's laws that just protect those those industries yeah you know it's insane it's yeah. like I, I just make the weapons, man. Like, what do you want? That's it. I gave you the tool. <laughs> yeah. You told me to use it. I didn't start the war. That's I just, right. Yeah, that's right. I just make the tools. Right. <laughs> you use them. Yeah, yeah, accountability. It's uh, it's a real thing. Um, on another note, let's talk about technology yeah. and where it's at today. How would you say technology benefits you? Benefits me? Mm. Look, I'll be real. While I might be this person who's really anti-AI and everything, look, video gaming, multimedia, like, you know, TV shows, movies have been a big part of my life. And I could also credit them to keeping me alive. I don't know. Is that overdramatic? I'd say, like, it kept me grounded for a while, hmm. you know? I don't... If I didn't have an Xbox, if I didn't have a PlayStation when I was younger, I feel like I would have been in the streets a lot more, hmm. you know? Like, there was some kind of... Uh, um, pathway and choice and most of the time when I was young I used to just stay in play games when I was feeling naughty I go out and do something naughty but you know most of the time I was quite happy just to sit on my bottom and play my game mm. which my mum was quite happy with she hated technology but she also gave it credit that oh well keeps them grounded Yeah. so you know I think everything is good in uh, if we say moderation because I guess you could moderate AI yourself, how much you use it. Oh, I might just use ChatGPT once, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's some help. Mm-hmm. I, I can see where there is that that help, but it, I, I believe it's your perspective, you mm-hmm. know? It's your, it's your perspective. My great-grandfather, he said that, you know, TV would rule people's lives when it first came out, and loads of people laughed at him. Mm-hmm. What house doesn't have a TV now? Yeah. What house doesn't have multiple TVs? Yeah, that's right. You know, like everyone's got to have one in their room. Mm-hmm. And then after that, everyone's got to have a laptop in front of them, then a, uh, a phone. And mm-hmm. It's, you know. It's like we're basically androids, if you think about it, because yeah. the phones are an extension of us. Basically, like our arm is basically a cable. Pretty much. You know. Yeah. yeah. So it's a source of connection. Mm. Okay. All right. Enough about that. Yeah. Let's head back to your journey now. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a bit about, um, you say you used to be in the streets and stuff like that, um, and you, like, how did, I know it's because of your environment, but like, how did you get involved with uh, 
just the street, the street life. Okay. Now, first and foremost, yeah, to to viewers or listeners in like the US and the UK, the streets in Australia is a very different thing. I'll be first and foremost. Mm. I'll say one thing: in Australia, there is no need, absolutely no need, to have a gang. Like, I in America and Britain, I can understand. Or you know, like you know, Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, wherever it may be, I understand why these groups exist mm. and how they can be so vicious and should be so horrible. I get it, you know, but in Australia we are so privileged mm. and I can acknowledge that as a fault of mine that growing up, I took a lot of things for granted. So, but with, with saying that it was just, yeah, you just grew up around it. You know, you go to the, you know, you go to the local pub, just grab something to eat with your family. And it is, there's just, there's big, you know, you've got, you got crackheads who are, on the slot machine because it's a Wednesday, payday from Centrelink, you know. Mm. Um, you got big bikies drinking at the bar and everything. You know, someone gets their head wrapped around for, with a pool cue, and that was quite normal growing up. Mm. You know, like just going out, you would just see that. Um, I, I got into a lot of fights when I was younger. You know, and I was raised to be like that as well. Like both my mum and my dad. You know, because they grew up quite hard and rough in England. They were like, yeah, you never let anyone... We ain't um, going to have no bitches in this house. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, even my sister, she knew how to throw down as well. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, basically, it was like that. But but for me, it was um, just, yeah, growing up, I used to go out a lot as well when I was young. I used to go for walks, play at the park. And you, you just, you'd be exposed. I can't exactly say there was a cataclysmic moment in my life where I was like, yo, I'm hood. Mm. But... You know, going to school, everyone else, you know, used to pick on me for where I was. So eventually, like, what I understand is that once you start isolating humans, mm. you know, you start saying you're this, you're that, eventually they will become it, eventually, whether it's true or not. Mm. You know, I just, you know, my, my parents, they own, we owned our house. You know, it's a, you know it's a, it was a low-income area, but, hey, they, they worked hard in England and they worked really hard in Australia. They bought their house. Mm. You know, we owned our home, you know, because of where I was, it still doesn't matter. Mm. You know, people still go, oh, you know, you're not going to go stay at his house. He lives in this area. And I've been told, I was told that. Mm. Oh, you know, mum says, you, I can't come over your house because you live here. So, you know, it just started to make you feel a bit lonely, made you feel a bit angry. Like, oh, why do I live here? Mm. You know? But really, you know, God, I, I, when I go back home now, I, I get so reminiscent. <laughs> I love it. I love my area. love the north. Everything about cult culture, mm. culture, characters, everything. You know what I mean? Mm. How, well, how, how much can I swear on this? You can swear. You can swear as much as you like. Culture, character, and cunts. That's what makes up the North, <laughs> mate. You know what I mean? The three C's. You know. You know, uh, and as well, like you know, growing up in that area, it, um, we had a large constituents of um, yeah, bikies, indigenous, lots of refugees, mm. and that's pretty commonplace in any society where you have a massive influx of uh, immigration, especially from people of other countries. Like yeah, talking of Africa, Middle East, they'll get lumped in places that are lower income. Mm. Happened in England, all of North London, you know, same thing. When the Windrush community came through during the 50s and 60s, they didn't send them to places like Kent and, you know, Sussex and all that. Mm. They sent them to Brixton. It's you know? almost as if, like, that is just planned. You know what I mean? Like, you'll have your shit areas and then you'll have these beautiful picturesque areas mm. where it's like these people will never mix with anyone else mm. except for their own, their own kind. Mm. You know what I mean? 
it's um it's fucked up yeah. it's fucked up plan yeah. and it's like the shit areas is not being helped yeah the government is assisting 25% and the other 75% is up to the people to do whatever the fuck they're going to do that's right whether it be rob shoot kill steal hmm. and yeah it's fucking disgusting yeah yeah well, yeah. if if you if you had a say in to make change like in impoverished areas within Australia, like what would your moves be? What would your movements be like? What would your change be? My change? I think community resource, really. Like that's one of the biggest things. What do you mean by that? Community resource is just having programs, community programs for kids. Honestly, like Mm. that's probably just one of the most important things. I also do believe as well that argument can be diminished because unfortunately a lot of American culture affects here as well. Mm. Like that is one thing, especially for my sister being a teacher. She notices that a lot with kids. Like they're so influenced by American... Influences. Influences, American hip-hop culture, Mm -hmm. so much of it. And... That's the thing, is like you got some kid, yeah, listening to you know, the beef between, you know, uh Easy E and Dr. Dre and how vicious that got, or Big E and Tupac, and you know, kids listening to that and it repeats in their head and then they get into beef with someone and they gotta retaliate and act like that because mm. that's what's always in their mind. Mm. You know what I mean? So that is um that is an issue to fight. Because honestly, while there's impoverished here there's mm. still so much opportunity. Mm. Like straight up, I explain it to my mates in America about, like I live in a really shit area, but mm. if you go a road over, there'll be a two-story house mm. and it's got like, you know, luxury looking cars and everything. And they, they're, they're like, how does that work? I'm like, because honestly, it can be based on the individual. Your individual acts in this country can reward you. Always say Australia to me is the, is the epitome of the American dream. If mm. you work hard in this country, you will make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's difficult. It, what moves? Like, I'll just say, yeah, education. Mm. I think education is just is so important. Um, I don't think we're educating children right in this country. I don't think we're in the West entirely. I don't think we're educating correctly. Um, yeah, more community resources, just events and and sports, things that just that bring people together. Community. Mm. Community is really important. Definitely. Like you do find here that in Australia we have higher rates of depression and I associate that with lack of community. Mm. That you don't know your next door neighbour. Like my mum grew up in a place called Broadwater Farm in England. It didn't matter if you were Turkish, you were Greek, you were Jamaican, you were from a part of Africa, Middle Eastern. People knew each other in the tower blocks. Yeah. And they were all friends. And, Sense of community. And yeah. it was yeah. quite hard growing up there. Mm. But in the end there was community. So mm. people shared and experienced together. Mm. You know? Yeah. Cool. Um, experiences that you've been through that were sort of life-changing. I know you went through a religious... Um, a religious... Uh, how can I put this? Um, I'll just say religious experiences mm. that you've been through. Can you share that with us? Dabbled with religion, but everything is a spiritual experience. That's the way I've, I've put it. Mm. Well, how much how much how much time we got? 
<laughs> I never grew up religious, but I went to a religious school, to a Catholic Anglican school. So always grew up with, you know, Jesus, God, and all that idea. And my mum raised me to be quite open-minded. One thing I'm very privileged is that, you know, if you walk into my house, you'll see books everywhere. We've got an entire library in um, in one of our rooms in the house. It used to be my room, but now because I've moved out, my mum and my sister have just made it into a library. And there is just anything and everything. Hmm. You know, books about botany, books about World War Two, or all, all, all wars, encyclopedias, culture, you know, stuff about Islam, Christianity, Buddhism. Just if you want to find something, you'll find it in there, you know. And, yeah, growing up, I went for my little angsty teenage phase. I'm an atheist. You know, I was listening to Slipknot, so I was like, yeah, how Satan, you know what I mean? That's mm. still a spiritual experience, you know what I mean? But I was just, yeah, uh, I really wasn't big on it. But I grew up quite predominantly close to the South Sudanese uh, Christian community. So I didn't really make many core friends in school until uh, we had a massive influx of mm. uh, Africans from South Sudan. And growing up with them, I was exposed to their community. I went to, you know, and, you know, churches are a communal place to meet at. So whether you are a follower or a true believer or if you're on the path, people still went and you're always surrounded by community. You're always surrounded by good vibes. And that's where I really got exposed to religion and God. Um, yeah, I was, I was a, a anointed a Christian with my God family. So I have a God family that are South Sudanese. And, you know, went for my experiences with that. And then when, when the path felt right, you know, I just I kind of just moved on. It's still there in my heart, always will be. Like, I've been a part of so many things, but I've never, de- I, I, I don't denounce it. I don't remove it from my existence anymore. I'm like, that was a piece of me, and it's mm. an important piece of me. Yeah. Eventually, not long after that, I would move on. Wow, it's so difficult. I can't explain. That. I can't explain this without explaining other pieces. So maybe, I, maybe I need to explain a bit more. Yeah. To, so I put it like this, right? At school, my close friends were Africans, and a lot of them used to cop a lot of stick in the area for being black, of course, because mm. you know Australia is so far behind when it comes to multiculturalism. They they preach multicultural. No, no, no. you got multi cultures and ethnicities but not together Hmm. you know in england you will you'll find you know english asians with english africans having children like that that stuff that doesn't happen here only now we're starting to see interracial relationships like we are in yeah but you know back in england that was normal in in the 80s for that to happen it's only becoming a bit more normalized and accepted here so anyway you know they were really copying a lot of stick Mm -hmm. and you know, I put my neck on the line, you know, stuck up for them. And it just, it just grew us a little bit closer and everything. And then growing up amongst um, a lot of African people, I was really exposed to the struggles of what Africans went through. And of course, you know, a lot of it does stem from um, uh, post-colonial times and being English and British. You know, my my wife tells me not my partner says not to always say my or we, but, you know, I'm a piece of that history and I take responsibility my ancestors were a piece and a part of um you know the downtroddenness of certain parts of the world and how people in the african diaspora experience the ripple effect and repercussions of that 
So growing up around Africans and all that stuff for a while, I had an identity crisis and I went through a massive phase of self-hatred. So mm. I hated being white. I wanted to be black. And people, all my friends used to say, oh, you, you know, you're just a, you're a light-skinned brother. You know, or you're you're um you're a white man with a black heart, all things like that, and um and and that that was it was nice because I felt really close and a part of something because I always wanted to have community. I didn't have a big family growing up. Moving away from England, we only had like mum, my dad, my sister, and my you know grandparents that we didn't really have much connection to. So I've always wanted to be a part of a family and a brotherhood. So mm. I was really really close with these people. And for all my experiences, good and bad, um, came to some very cataclysmic events um, where we, I found at some points in my life growing up, my race became a critical point if it was in altercations or if there were disputes in the community. So there were some points where you know, a lot of the, the young boys were acting wild. So this is where the street stuff comes in. And, mm. you know, there was drugs. People got hold of, some people got hold of guns. Some people, you know, there were stabbings. One of my closest friends was, was almost stabbed to death when I was 15. And at some events uh, that the community congregated together to discuss, like, what are the issues? I was one of the main talking points. Because I was one of the only Caucasian people part of this massive community. And some parents and some uh, mums started to try and blame me. And some arguments and fights later in my life with the community, with younger younger blokes, it became about me being white. So mm. I had a lot of Sudanese girlfriends growing up. So brothers didn't like it. So instead of it just being like, oh, you're dating my sister, it was like, I'm not going to have a white man be with my sister. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I've had machetes pulled out of me. I've had a gun put to my head before. Just trivial shit, you know? Mm. But there were really uh, traumatic experiences that kind of, you know, a bit like the same thing of, oh, I'm not going to sleep over your house because you're from a Darrow area. So I feel and act like a Darrow. Mm. And it's like, okay, well, I'm a dirty, rotten Caucasian to some people. I, I might start acting and being one. Mm. And then this one cataclysmic event happened when I was really young. I got robbed. Um, I think they were I think they were Liberian, they were West Africans. Mm. Uh, they beat the living shit out of me and they took all my all my money, all my wallet and everything. And during the haze of me getting my head kicked in by six dudes, a whole, a whole bunch of other dudes rocked up and saved me. They just jumped in, had a fight, and I had no idea at this point, but those guys were skinheads. Mm. And I didn't realise until one of them had like took their shirt off and they had a big, big fucking swastika in the middle of his chest. Mm. And confronting because it's like, am I? I just got my head kicked in by six dudes, but I got saved. Who I got no beef <laughs> with in regards to their color, but now am I going to like stand up and start throwing hands with some people who, at that point in my life, I really didn't like? Mm. So that really, really messed me up. And then these guys started talking to me, and they, you know, like, oh, what's your number? Like these guys have an F with you. You know, we'll be there for you and all that stuff. It was really, it was awkward. And eventually I got connected with the underground skinhead movement in Australia. And at that point, I was almost on my way out of the African community. I was losing connection with friends. I was being very depressed. I was very isolated because, you know, I was about 17 at this point. Mm. And eventually, yeah, for about a year, year and a half, I became a neo-Nazi skinhead. 
Hmm. So I cut all connections with all my friends, my God family. They all know about it. Like we're all cool now. Hmm. They were they were all just like, look, you're you're my God says you're just a crackhead. It's interesting because you you found you you went through even more experiences and you found out like that was not for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you won't really remove that from your past or remove it from yourself. Like it, like you said before, it is a part of you. Mm. It's a part of the experiences that you've been through. It it's it's molded you into who you are today. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate that, um, not just yourself, but people who, uh, things like that happen to, um, but at the same time, even though it's unfortunate, it's a blessing because it forms who you are. Blessing in disguise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's very interesting, man. So um, anyway, yeah. So, you know, I guess we can always do a part two episode maybe one day. Mm. Um, I know you got to get out of here. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, long story short. So yeah, I've done about a year and a half, I'd say. year and a half solid of basically being indoctrinated, being indoctrinated to be a skinhead, white supremacist, you know, uh, white is right. 14, 1488 Nights was uh, who I was a part of. They're no longer around. They were just a small clique of that. And they were really just a bunch of crackheads. Mm. They just hated black people and all, all other sorts of people. But 1488 is um, just for a little bit of like historical reference. So 1488 refers to the 14 words that Hitler wrote to preserve the white race. And then 88 is 8 and 8 are the... Um, numerical for H so Hell Hitler mm. so H and H is the eighth letters of the alphabet right. so 1488 if you ever see 1488 just you know that's a, that's a, that's a neo-Nazi paraphernalia that's funny man yeah, yeah so <laughs> it's kind of creative eh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so it's, 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 it's code but it's, it's quite known now by most people but mm. yeah back then it wasn't known to many people and yeah, it's uh, hard, odd, odd, depressing, really bad time. That was that was around a lot of violence as well, because it was during the time where uh, mass Muslim immigration was coming into Australia. So a lot of far right groups were really stemming up, and like as many gangs or any groups, they recruit in low socioeconomic areas. Hmm. So in our area in Davron Park, there used to be lots of posters being posted up. You know, like stop the mass influx of brown people and all sorts of stuff like that. And yeah, it was uh, yeah very dark time, hmm. very very dark time in my life. But then, funny enough, while I was against people, because you know I was in, um, I was involved in the Melbourne riot. Uh, there was a riot in Melbourne that happened when Reclaim Australia was uh, protesting. So it was about you know stopping the mass immigration of Muslims and kicked off, man. So mm. it was uh, it was wild because you know we had the communists rock out to fight us. You had uh, you had all the Lebanese rock out. It was there was bricks. It was it was wild, man. Um, Really, uh, really tough time, but character building as always. Mm. And then, anyway, to move further on from that, uh, me and my partner had split up near the end of that time. And I was finding myself, you know, I'd been living a lie. Like, I, I, I just felt so suicidal, felt so wronged with myself that I'd wronged everything I'd ever believed in. You know, I had like, you know, grandparents that fought against the Nazis and I thought how could I be one of them mm. you know what I mean but 
So yeah, I got to a really, really cataclysmic event in my life as well, where I tried to take my life and I ended up failing in doing so and feeling like I was meant to be here for something. I just never followed through with it. It wasn't some epiphany where I looked up, I was like, oh, God's spoken to me, but I thought, okay, this didn't work. I was there at the brink. I'm not going to do that ever again because that was terrifying, mm. you know? But this one day I was feeling so bad. I went to the park. I was crying my eyes out, sat on the park bench. I saw all these dudes playing football. And when I mean football, I mean soccer to you Australians and Americans listening. Mm. And, you know, I knew they were foreigners. But even when I was a skinhead, I didn't have beef with, with foreign people to a degree. It was more of a self-love thing. Mm. It was more about, how can I describe it? I describe myself now, later on, I describe myself more of like, like Malcolm X. When people know about Malcolm X's history, he was more of a segregationist. He was just like, look, I ain't got no beef to fight white people, but I want to empower my own people and I want to empower myself and we want to, we want our own land. And that was really what I believed. I didn't believe in genocide. I didn't believe in harming people. You know, we're humans, but I just thought like, you know, black and white can't work because me being a part of a black community and realising it wasn't working, mm. that's where I kind of got that idea from. I thought like I embedded myself. I learned a language. I was so a part of it. I, I used to do community um, events and it, my colour was always a bridging point. So I just kind of thought to myself, like, all right, that's what I believe in. So even then, being a part of groups like that, I still was an individual. You know, I still was like, was like we don't have to kill people. And they're like, yeah, we do, you know. Mm. <laughs> so wild as fuck. So I saw these dudes playing football anyway. And even though, yeah, I knew they were like, they were ethnic people. I just went up to them and was like, hey, can, can I join in? And eventually I would find out that they were Indonesians. And Indonesia is actually one of the largest Islamic countries in the world. They got more Muslims there than they do in Saudi Arabia. Mm. It's an interesting fact that the largest Muslim country is Indonesia. Um, and yeah, anyway, so I found myself a little bit confronted because these are people that I was uh, quite against, extremely against. But over the course of time, we, we all forged a, a bond, friendships, and they invited me back to the mosque. Mm. You know, and the mosque used to be a church where I lived, but eventually got abandoned and it basically was a crack den. But then they all came together, they bought it with their money, and we refurbished it. So I helped like install things, you know, gutters and air conditioners and whatnot. And eventually over time, I just found myself just around around Muslims mm. and was enjoying my experience, was learning something. I still had massive apprehension. I, you know, people in my life would, you know, you know work colleagues, um, you know, family back in the UK, you know, they would be like, oh, why are you around these people? You know, mm. but I, I still go with my gut. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, uh, stubborn. Mm. You, know, you can tell me don't bash your head. You're going to break your, break your head before you break the wall and I'll keep going until the wall breaks, you know. <laughs> so I just went with my gut and uh, eventually found myself converting to Islam. Mm. And, uh, you know, we were friends at that time when that had happened because, um, of course, this is a few years after I was a skinhead. And... Yeah, it was, you know, my, my time as a Muslim as well was interesting. Just because when I do something, you know me, I can't just throw Full myself. On. Yeah, yeah. You go. You you basically have. Um, I don't want. Yeah, I'll say you have an obsessive personality. Yeah, it's, bad. it's like if you're into something, you'll obsess in that, which is sort of a good trait, but it's bad at the same time. It's like a balance. Um, you could go so full on into it. 
uh, different parts of your life will just disintegrate before you, yeah. before you know it, and you'll just be like focused on this one thing, which is um, which is the bad thing. But yeah, the good thing is like self learning and um, character building and stuff like that. Yes, correct. You believe in God? Absolutely. Because hmm. when you was telling me that, I feel like <clears throat> I've heard many cases like people's been going through like the worst of shit and on basically on the brink of either death, uh, suicide, um, mental instability, and for some strange reason. They find something to get them out of that, or out of that li- the lifestyle or the living that they were in. Mm-hmm. And I always say, I don't know, it's just me personally. I always say God has something to do with that. Mm. I think God wants to show you the other side of the other side that you don't know about. He wants mm-hmm. to give you knowledge on that, mm-hmm. and then from there you decide where you want to go. That's right. Yeah. I believed in many gods, and mm. I still do. I believe mm. I believe in the monotheistic Abrahamic God, but also believe in the multiple deities of um, European paganism, and the European paganism back when I was a skinhead. That was our core belief. Mm. So we're talking things like Odin, um, Thor, Freya, things like that. And there is a perverse history behind that because the Nazis they used. Um, Norse mythology and Germanic uh, gods to inspire warrior-like traits mm. in the the Wehrmacht and the SS and the Einsatzgruppen, and you know the, the SS they used to celebrate solstice. They never celebrated Christmas because Christ- Christianity has roots in Judeo Christianity, so related to the Jews. So mm. when Hitler discovered this and all of his people, they're like, oh, we need to find something else, you know. So yeah, and you know. Uh, like I said, like me now, where I'm standing as a man, it's like, you say, do I believe in God? Absolutely. But if someone said, do you believe in, yeah, do you believe in Walden? And do you believe in Valhalla? I'm like, yeah, I do. Because it was all a piece of me. It was all a driving force. And at that point in my time of life, it was a driving force and a connection source. Mm. And I'm not one of these people that just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. That's right. You know? Mm. They're just just different avenues. You know, God is uh, such a, it's a, it's a broad Mm. You know, because when I speak to some people who aren't into God, but they're into the universe, just change the title. You're you're, you're about the same thing in all honesty. Just change. Just just you. More knowledge that you have, the more language you have, the more relatability you can create with people. Yeah, that's one thing I don't understand. That I would love to get someone on here to explain this to me. Yeah, like atheism is just a concept that I can't wrap my brain around. I know it's. uh, I know what it is. You know, there's a belief. And nothing. But that in itself, it's belief. <laughs> it's a belief. And if <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It, then you manifest it into reality. That's right. So and it it's like real. some some atheists they believe that you know they are a god themselves. It's like what do you like? I don't understand. What are you, what are you what are you saying? Like I understand if you believe in you, but it's like you're saying you don't believe in a god, but you consider yourself a god. So what are you telling me? You don't believe in yourself. Yeah, it's just something I don't, I can't wrap around my head. Atheism is just, um, yeah, it's very confusing. I would love to understand it, though. Unfortunately, with atheism is is that, to me, there's no, it it means you basically absolve yourself of being a spiritual creature. Mm. So then I find it hard to create a connection with you. 
Mm. You know, like you're no different than that that Red Bull can in front of me. I could talk to you and I'm I just not going to make a connection. That's dangerous. It sucks. That's dangerous. That's that perspective. <laughs> you know, let's be real. Kind of is though, because what do we do when we get when we finish that drink? We dispose of it. It's like <laughs> atheists can say, well, after I'm done talking with you, I'm going to dispose of you. What do you think? I you got this nine right here. I got this nine millimeter. <laughs> Look, I call her Nina. <laughs> and my belief is as well that, well, I heard this from a good friend of mine, and he's an atheist, but even he says it. He says that when you're in the trenches, there's no atheism. That's right. And that's a fact. Mm-hmm. And I heard that from an atheist. Mm. So, you know. And it's funny because there's been a lot of stories of like soldiers, you know, uh, going into into war and not having any faith in anything and then basically finding their faith in there yeah. and finding their faith within their brothers you know their unit yep. and yeah that makes them that makes them believers and yeah. they come back stronger than ever i know it's crazy i mean you know, same thing with there were people who were devout went in they mm-hmm. came out atheists yeah is that how can you know as one world war one soldier had said he was uh, originally a catholic minister he had said, how, how can God let me and let others do this? Mm. Like, in all honesty, and when you just know the horrors of World War One, you know, there's a there's a difference, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it's the broad spectrum. I've mm. always always been a spiritual person. Finding, I, I don't know if I'll be rooted with one for the rest of my life, but I'll be rooted with it all, whatever I experience. I can't, I can't diminish it. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a very, very strong topic. And honestly, it's something that we could, I could speak to you about for hours and hours and hours. Are you uh, God-fearing? God-fearing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that difficult. Yeah, I guess I am. I am and I ain't at times. And I know that that's what enroots a lot of, with the monotheistic belief, God-fearing is is the uh, one of the main catalysts to people's strictness with their faith, especially being a Muslim. It definitely was, mm. you know that you know it's always taught that you know Allah is the um, all all merciful, benevolent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But these constant reminders of hellfire. <laughs> He's like, I'll give you all this, but if you fuck this one thing up, that's it. I'll take it away. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Like, look, and having been a part of so many faiths, I can also argue so much against why they can be bad. Mm. I, but I can argue why they're so good. It's, I cannot, all I say is, is that we should never, ever get rid of it. Mm. People say, oh, if we get rid of religion, the world will be all better. I'm like, are you actually serious? No, it'll be, it'll be terrifying. It'll like, be a terrifying human world. beings with no accountability yeah. is the most terrifying thing. Mm. You know, I think that's what, you know, that's what we went through in our past with warring and stuff, like our ancestors warring. It's yeah. like, there's no accountability. You know, you have your tribe and stuff like that, but if you have, I wouldn't even say our ancestors. I would say before, before that, there was no law. There was no rules. Mm. So it's like every man for themselves and it's survival. Yeah. Well, look, many wars have been waged. And religion, really religiously, been, yeah. Religion has been a either a catalyst, or it's been a driving force, mm-hmm. or it's been a source of inspiration, whether to keep going in the name of goodness or even bad. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like, look, the Holocaust was generated out of the hate of a religion mm-hmm. and existence of a of of, of a people. You know, with, with the Jews. Mm-hmm. You know, 
um, like a lot of like a lot of colonialism. A lot of people don't give credit to this because we're in such a revisionist time of history where we judge so harshly because you know we we stem from colonial nations. But with colonialism, that was a driving force of Christianity mm. and the same with Islam. Islam, you know, people um, in this day and age, people somehow make out that, that Islam wasn't as imperialistic or destructive it just was mm. you know and that's totally is it fine i'm just uh, it's a fact doesn't there's mean, no there's no perfect religion no it doesn't mean it's right or wrong Look, let's be real there's a balance mean, in every religion the, the genocide of myanmar was carried out by buddhists mm. if you're making those people pissed off and picking up guns you know what i mean mm. like <laughs> yeah so there's a balance in every religion there there is i i feel like I haven't read up much on Buddhism, but I'm sure there's some negative things in there. Like like negative aspects and perspective of people, of what they think, you know, Buddhism should be. If everything is rooted in... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, oh my god! I'm having, a, I'm having a bit of a brain fart right now. What what is the word I'm after? Uh, in is it like balance or not balance? Interpretation. Oh yeah. If everything is rooted to interpretation, then you can't use that platform as infallible. Mm. So like. One negative that I can say about some religions, and I'll say Christianity at its height, you mm -hmm. know, like during the Crusades, and I can even say part of Islam, is that when you when you, when you believe something is infallible, that can become dangerous because mm -hmm. infallible means that this is right. There yeah. is no other right. This it's is absolute. Own, this is absolute. Yeah. So then, when you use terminologies like infidels, or if you use pagans, uh, you know, disbelievers, or the Catholic and everything you open up yeah realms to violence mm. and you justify this because like let's be real that if we did leave in a society where we were ruled by let's say christianity of the old times or if we lived in a very uh, or an islamic society now yeah uh life wouldn't be what it is today i tell you that much no no but but the belief in something else mm. you know, can be very dangerous to people yeah. Punishable by death, mm -hmm. you know. So there are definitely some some wrongs with that. Mm. And I understand, you know, Christianity. Like, look, today is Saint George's Day for England. I just done a post just before about the revision history of it. I've seen that. Um, sorry, I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, and it's the fact that yeah, like you know, Saint George was a Christian in a pagan army. That's like, well, people seem to forget that about the Romans that they were they you know things like Venus and all that they were their gods. Mm. Um, and they did, they persecuted Christians. And I, that is one, one reason why I believe that Christian militarism was around at one point was because of the mass persecution by Romans. And yeah, people like St. George being venerated as saints because of their martyrdom for dying for their faith and belief, the belief in one monotheistic God. Um, yeah, it's a driving force, driving point. Mm. You know? Are you afraid to die? Who Do you fear death? Who isn't? Like, anyone that says they're not afraid. Is, I don't know. It's a liar. I, I do not believe a single human being in some semblance afraid of death. Mm. That fear is generated by the unknown. So you question it and then your mind starts racing. You start thinking about things. 
And if we all ponder about death, then we have some feeling towards it that can be out of fear. That's my belief. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid to yeah, leave behind my family. Because sometimes I do wonder if, it, if, 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 it's, all, if it's all make-believe, it's all wrong, then where are, where are we truly going, hmm. you know? You know? So, yeah, I'll, I'll be real. Now I'm, uh, I'm a dad, and that's totally fine. You're a dad now. You, we used to only think five minutes ahead of time before being dads. Now we're dads. We're thinking 50 years. Yeah. And there's something that makes us worried about that. And it is. It's that if I don't live a life that's worth living for my child and I die. So, yeah. I think that's the beauty of life. That is. Gives us extension. Yeah. Yeah. What's what? What are your thoughts on what's going on with the world right now between um, the world, the superpowers, the world superpowers? What are your views on that? Do you have any views on it? Or not really. You know, it's just every single day history is being made. You know, every single moment is a is a historical moment that just passes into the next next realm. I. Uh, Honestly, it's what's going on now is just it's what superpowers do. It's it's it's, and in all honesty, we as the people, I feel like accountability. You know, you and Hefe spoke about accountability comes down to us. We want all of this stuff. We, you know, we want TVs, we want Xboxes, we want cars, we want housing, we want resources. So your country has to be a superpower. You know, that's one thing. I know like people where they live, they like to blame where they live. You know, like, oh, like, you know, oh, you know, people in America hate America. Well, things that you partake in fuel America, fuel Australia, fuel Britain. You know, if you believe in where you live, then it, the existence has to be built upon something. And harsh reality is it might be built upon things such as genocide, war, violence, political turmoil, which all fades into history and will be read about in the next 100, 200 years. And the way we argue about things from a few hundred years ago, people will argue about it later on. Mm. So, yeah, I ch being a dad right now, well, being a dad for the rest of my life, I try my hardest to keep myself as, as, as grounded, you know? You know, I'm just, I'm just a common man, just trying to do common things, raise a normal family and... You know, as much as things are, are bad, we still live in one of the safest and greatest times in human history. Mm. Like, being, fortunately, being a scholar and someone that really reads in the history, yeah, I'll tell you what, I would rather much live in this day and age than <laughs> other days, you know? Are you afraid of what our children... Are you, are you afraid of our children's future? Absolutely. Yeah. And what parent isn't? Mm. Because... Everything comes with change. Every generation beforehand has had to watch the next generation change, and they don't like it. Like, I, I, when when do parents and grandparents clap on the next generation all the time? Like, they, they don't. They'll do things differently, and we'll get worried about that. Um, I am worried about you know certain things, uh, you know, certain changes in our culture, certain changes with. You know, we've got gender politics, we've got race politics, you know. I, I, I've, yeah, it's just things I'm worried about, mm. definitely. 
especially being a part of a of a interracial relationship, I am definitely worried about what my child and you and your child are going to experience growing up because I almost feel like one day they're going to say pick a side and mm. I hate that absolutely hate it you know they're here today because of two or of two or multiple histories you know and you can't denounce any of it whether mm. it was good or bad straight yeah. up it's a foundation to how you got here and you got to appreciate it and it's more knowledge just more knowledge mm. that's one thing I really want to t- teach my child I'd never want her to ever feel guilty growing up about anything, mm. you know, that that she didn't have an active hand to play in. Like, that's that's definitely one thing, you mm. know. Um, and, yeah, and we got so much of this stuff, yeah, with, with, with gender politics, man, woman, are you a man, are you a woman, call me this, call me that. I, I, I don't know. I guess I can go on for hours about that. What what message would you write to yourself or if you could time travel back to a certain point in your life, when would it be and what would you tell yourself? That is that is a very difficult one. Um, I think I would go back to when I was a very small child and just tell myself that no matter what happens, what you do, it will lead to something better as long as you keep going. That's it. Because people ask me, would you change that part? Would you, you know, and I'm like, I, I, I can't. I would never. I would never interfere with anything that I went through when I was younger, as much as that might be really hard. I agree. But I think, I think maybe just alleviating the bit of the mental anguish that I experienced later on. I feel like if I had just been, I had heard that. I feel like that might have made things a little bit easier. You know, you can always make things a little bit easier, but don't don't ever change it. Mm. You know. But yeah, I think that's what I would say for the people that's having a hard time in life struggling a bit uh, emotionally mentally physically what would your message be to them inspirational message right now in this moment I am going through a very difficult time in my life just just got to keep going utilize resources we we have so much assistance this day and age I've never known I've never understood how we have got so much resources at our disposal, but yet we are filled with so many different frequencies and so many different uh, interferences to our happiness. Um, a, f- a few weeks ago, I, I, I utilised Lifeline, just going for really hard times at work. Just I kind of had to keep going on with my job, you know, because I, I look after human beings, so I can't really be the one to melt down, but I was having a moment. But during my little... Uh, intermissions with my job i just was just talking to someone i was literally like text messaging someone and they were just asking me questions i was explaining it to them and it just it was it was helping me and in all honesty just you utilize you utilize friends family like don't focus on what you don't have focus on what you can have and i know that it can be so difficult in that moment and and i, and I think as well that's fine it's okay 
it's really, really hard. I don't have some small little quote just to give anyone because sometimes I feel like we're just, we're filled with so many, you know? Um, but that's what I just say to people is that what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, it's not okay. But it's okay that we do go through things in life. But it's your responsibility, whether it's your fault or not, to fix what's going on. Like that that's another thing I feel like is is that with responsibility and accountability there is there is self empowerment. Whether you're liking the experience or not, you have to go through it. So I guess, you know, if anyone's listening, I guess that's what I would say. Adversity builds characters. It, it does. It it definitely does. Um I don't always like to use the quote that what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Like, no, what doesn't kill you, honestly, can make you uh, anxious and depressed and feeling down for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? It can be that way. Mm. You know, like, how can I sit here and, you know, speak to someone who just, you know, caused a car accident and killed four people when he's in a wheelchair and be like, oh, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Like, how can I use that quote to someone? Mm. You know what I mean? Because there are people out there who are living like, like that with guilt and certain things. But, you know, adversity does build character. Just stay on the path. I guess it's the balance of life. Yeah. Um, like you know, and everyone that knows me, I believe balance is a uh, number one player. Balance in, and trade-off. In everything, things. yes. Yeah. There's a trade-off to everything that yeah. you do. But there's also balance. Yeah. There's a, there should be balance in everything yeah. that you do. Brother, it was a pleasure having you here mm-hmm. on my show. Yeah. Um, you know I love you, man. I love you too, man. And Appreciate um, it. the journey that you've been on thus far has been a roller coaster. Mm. And even though you're going through tough times, mm. you're fighting through it. Yeah. There's nothing that you can get over, but you're getting through it. That's right. And I respect that, my brother. Love you, bro. Love you too, bro. <laughs> we'll definitely do a uh, we'll do a part two down the track. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like some things I've said here, you know, you can ask me questions about it more because I feel like there's so many things that yeah. I can divert and go on tangents. I try not to go on tangents today, but there are many things. So yeah. Oh, bro, there's there's so much time. Yeah. We just covered. I don't even know how long how long we've been going. An hour. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's all good. Let's Just like there's there's so much you can't talk about everything in an hour. That's right. That's right. But um, yeah, I know you gotta get to work. So yeah, man. Thank you. No worries, brother. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Catch you on the next one, guys. Peace. Peace.